God's presence, God's people, God's purpose, God's plan. These have always been the essential ingredients of the church. We find a recording of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection in the Gospel of Luke. That letter was the first of a two-part work, the second being the Book of Acts. In this letter, Luke recalls Jesus' ascension and commission, the spread of the Gospels, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the early church. In the past, God's presence was with His people in one place at one time. But after God outpoured His promised Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the power to do incredible things filled those who would receive it and overflowed to those around them. With this new Holy Spirit power, the church began to explode, stirring among thousands as the message grew and spread, unhindered. The mission of the church has been made clear by Jesus Himself. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now, more than 2,000 years later, God's presence is still being unleashed among God's people. And we are part of God's continued purpose and God's continued plan as the Holy Spirit moves in and through us. Now, one of the things that's a priority for us here at Cornwall Church, we want to always have it as a priority, is prayer. And today, uh, Ron led us in a, in a time of reflection and prayer and crying out, really, corporately. And one of the things that uh, we want to uh, give to you today on your way out is a, just kind of a pray first prayer prompt to help you know how can you pray for Afghanistan, the situation there, how can you pray for the situation in Haiti. And so on your way out today, uh, here in the building, if you want to get one of these, they'll be at the Information Center. Those of you who are worshiping with us online after our service, after my sermon, uh, Pastor Brian will have these for you uh, electronically uh, online as well, so you can get that there. But I wanted to, to ask you to continue to be praying uh, for our situations in our world uh, and in our lives. Uh, so glad that you're here with us, here with us in the room. It is wonderful to have people in the room uh, to preach to, and it's so great to have those of you who are worshiping with us online, and uh, thank you for being with us uh, every single week. We're in this series that has been going on throughout the summer. We'll continue on for another month or so on the book of Acts entitled Unleashed, Unhindered, and Unstoppable, this, this story of the church of, of Jesus Christ and what happened after his resurrection. And we've been looking at that. And what we're going to look at today is one of these moments in the story, one of these moments in the history of the church. There are times in people's lives, sometimes in families, sometimes in businesses, sometimes in churches, sometimes in movements that you can point back to a certain time, a certain place, a certain thing, and it's, it's a defining moment. And it's like at that point, it, and you can go like, it was here, it was in this room, it was at this table, it was at this spot. And something shifted, something changed, and it would never, ever be the same. And what we're going to look at today was one of those defining moments, not only for the early church, but the reality is for the church even to this day. It's, we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 15. Uh, so if you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time today. Um, as we get into that, <clears throat> I'll be right back. I forgot my bag over here. Well, I'll just take this. All right. I forgot to bring this with me. I, I don't know if you know what this is. Anyone know what this is? And, and no, it's not the hair piece I'm working on as I go bald. <laughs> it blends right in, doesn't it? Can't even tell. And it's not uh, one of our beloved kitties that's later been stuffed. No, no, not, not at all. Um, I don't know if you know one of these. Uh, some of you may have no clue on this. 
These were introduced to the world in 1967, which automatically takes a bunch of you out. Maybe this picture will help. Anyone know what this is? Tribbles, all right, yeah, some reason, Tribbles, okay. There's a, a uh, in, the, in the original Star Trek, in the second season, in 1967, there was a, a, an episode that's kind of become a cult classic. It's called The Trouble with Tribbles. And uh, this is a Tribble. Actually, there was a follow-up later in a different season called Troubles and Tribulations. But The Trouble with Tribbles is that the, star, uh, the Starship Enterprise uh, landed and there was this tribble, uh, Tribbles that were introduced to this Starship. And at first they were kind of novel, kind of cute. Here they were. But then there were more of them, and then there were more of them, and it wasn't cute anymore, and it wasn't novel anymore, and it was, it was a, a little bit of an issue, and it was becoming a serious issue and a concern that maybe these tribbles would, would you know, kind of cause life on the uh, Starship Enterprise to be very, very difficult, maybe, maybe even impossible. Now, I know you don't come to church for Star Trek Trivia Morning. That's not why you're here, and some of you right now are saying, where is he going with this? How does this, I thought we were in the book of Acts. Well, I hope this ties in because what we're gonna look at today was in a season in the early church where there wasn't the trouble with tribbles, but the reality was the same. There was what the Jewish people were feeling was the trouble with Gentiles because the followers of Jesus, Jesus was Jewish. His 12 disciples were Jewish. The, the followers were Jewish and that's the way it had always been. And, and then, even though, even though th there were prophecies that talked about that the Jewish people would be blessed to be a blessing to all nations, or that they would be the light to the Gentiles, there was this attitude that, that this relationship with God and his people was through this door, and only those, you know, his people could get in. Others were to keep out. And this represents this, this relationship with God and his people. And while it is true that there were prophecies that were often overlooked or at least downplayed, the church starts and then it seems like something happens. Like, like, like this keep out sign is replaced with what we looked at last week, the open house sign. And it started innocently enough, chapter 8 of Acts, Philip goes to Samari the Samaritans and, and they receive the word of God and the Holy Spirit comes on them. And all of a sudden, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, and then there's this Ethiopian, and, and, and he gets baptized, and, and he becomes the follower. And then Peter has this vision, and then in chapter 10, there's Cornelius and his household, and they're not Jewish at all. And, and they receive the word of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And then in chapter 11, after the persecution, there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene that went up to Antioch, and they were telling about Jesus, not only to the Jews, but to the Greeks as well. And the Greeks began to hear this, and they began to follow, and they began to believe, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Barnabas is sent up there, and, and, and Saul comes down. And then, as we saw last week, the very first time there's a, a concerted, concentrated, intentional effort to take the good news of the gospel to those who were non-Jewish, it's the first missionary journey, and, and uh, Barnabas and Saul are sent off. And, the, and, and this open house, it, it seems like, like now it's not just for the Jewish people, and it's not just for a few here and there, but there are more and more. In fact, at the end of their missionary journey, after they've been up into the region of Galatia, they come back. They've been gone for two or three years. They come back, and we read this in Acts 14, verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith 
to the Gentiles. That now it wasn't just, just an open house, but it was an open door. That the Jewish people could come and the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, the non-Jewish people. And the amazing thing was this, is that as they went and they told this and they would go to, to these towns and they would go to the synagogue first and the Jewish people responded and the God-fearing Greeks would respond. And then the Gentiles who weren't even God-fearing would hear and they would hear about Jesus and they would hear about grace and they would hear about salvation and they would respond. To where now there's all kinds of people coming in this door and they're not all Jewish. In fact, in some areas, especially in this missionary journey and up in Antioch, it's getting to the point where there's more non-Jewish followers of Jesus than Jewish followers, and we have a trouble with tribbles right now. It's starting to overthrow the church, starting to overtake the church, and some of the Jewish people are not very excited about this at all. In fact, this open door, they would just assume that the door would swing closed, that it would shut, that maybe some of these people would stay out. In fact, as they're thinking this through, some of the Jewish people would say, okay, well, well, we'll say it's still an open house. We're not sure if we want that to just be wide open. Let's do this. Let's put a little asterisk here. It is an open house. Yes, you're welcome. If. It's an open house. Have a right relation with God. Be a part of the kingdom. Great. Everybody. If. If, first of all, you make sure that you are a Jew. And if you're not a Jew, you become a Jew. And that was this new if for some of these Jewish people. Yeah, they're welcome. You just have to become like us to be a part of this, this kingdom. And so there's this storm that's brewing because you have these Jewish believers. They have, the men are, are, are marked with the sign of the covenant of Abraham, circumcised. They are followers of the law of Moses. They love Jesus, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. At the same time, you had these non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans. The men are not marked with the sign of the covenant of Abraham. They're not circumcised. They don't follow all the dietary ritual laws of Moses. They don't even know them. There's 613 of these laws. They don't even know them, but they love Jesus, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're both together in the same gathering, this ecclesia, this gathering of Jesus followers called the church. And so you have this, this kind of this spiritual brackish water of these Jewish people who are circumcised with the law and these Gentiles who are not circumcised, not following the law, but they both groups love Jesus. They're both filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's some tension. It's like that old poem, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with the saints we know, now that's a different story. You got this tension going on here, these Jews and these Gentiles, and all this tension going on, and it's especially uh, 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 happening in Antioch, where Barnabas and Paul are. Because now there's all these Greek-speaking followers of Jesus, and, and they're not circumcised, and they're not following the law. And in the midst of all this, some of the Jewish people who love Jesus, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, decide to, to fix the problem, to take things into their own hands. And this is where we pick up in our story. If you're following along, Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. Some men came down from Judea. Even though they're going north, it's come down because Israel or uh, Jerusalem is, is high in elevation, so it's always you're coming down from Jerusalem. They came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Now, at first glance, this seems like a great thing. 
There are people that are coming from Jerusalem. That's where the disciples are. That's where the apostles are. That's where the elders are. That's where the authority is. That's the home base of the church. How great to have special speakers come in and teach us from, from those who walked with Jesus, who saw him resurrected, who, who were there at the, you know, at the Sermon on the Mount, and, and they're coming to teach. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great to have these outside speakers with great authority. But it's what they're teaching is a bit of a problem. They're saying, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That unless you become a Jew, it's not an open house for you. It's back to keep out. And this is a very, very important, it's a most important issue. Because what we're talking about is salvation by grace, and this has got to be resolved. If this doesn't get resolved, these followers of Jesus are just going to be another branch of Judaism. They're all Jewish anyway. It's going to be more Judaism just with Ju Jesus as the Messiah, but it will be a, Jew a branch of Judaism. And so in the midst of all this, there's this tension. And so our guys, Paul and Barnabas, are kind of at the center of all this tension. Verse 2 says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute, not with each other. That happens at the end of chapter 15. We're not even getting into that one. Brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them, with these people who've come from Jerusalem who are teaching, unless you become circumcised, you're not just a second-class citizen. You don't even get to be a part. You don't even get to go in the door. And they're, they're struggling with this. They're like, guys, do you know how much confusion this is bringing and frustration and, and disappointment, I mean, come on. They, we welcome them into the kingdom. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They love Jesus. They, they, they've accepted the word. And now you're telling them that rules have changed, like there's fine print that you should have told them on the, on the front end. And there's, there's disagreement on this. And there's even division happening within the church as, as these two groups are coming together. And the leaders can't even agree on this. So they get to this impasse in this discussion, a most important discussion, this isn't a small matter, they get to an impasse and it's decided this. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So, okay, we can't get this figured out here. We need you guys to go back to Jerusalem. We need you to talk to the apostles. We need you to talk to the elders. We need to get this resolved, and it's not happening here. So Paul and Barnabas and these guys who came from Jerusalem, they're all traveling back. Beautiful little side note. Paul and Barnabas take the slow boat back. They take the, the long road back. They, they could have got there quicker, but they go throughout the countryside, and they just continue to preach the gospel, continue to tell what God's doing, even amongst the Gentiles. And, and, they, and they're going back. This is referred to as the council in Jerusalem. And like I said, what happens here in chapter 15, we... We read it and it's like, oh, okay, that's good. We cannot over, over, um, overstate, that's a good one. Cannot overstate the impact this was on the formation of the early church at this council. Because if this would not have happened, the followers of Jesus would have been just another branch of Judaism. And there really are two issues. How do you get in the door? And then how do you live once you're inside the door? The first one is, how do you get in? Do you have to be circumcised to go through here for the men? And then once you're in, do you have to follow all the 613 rules, and especially the dietary rules, and, and all that things that make you clean and unclean, and the Sabbath rules, and, and the festival rules, and the holy days rules, and all these things? Now, if you've been with us in the series, you know that Peter had this vision 
when he was in Joppa, this sheet coming down and these animals of clean and unclean animals and this voice, kill and eat, and that, that whole thing with Cornelius. And it was not just about diet, but it was about the Gentiles. To us, we, we read and like, this issue has already been solved. It's already been dealt with, but not so. Now, I hope this doesn't confuse you and doesn't muddy up the waters, but I want to push pause on our study of Acts 15 right here. Because there's some other things that happen that are not recorded in Acts 15 that I believe are happening at the same time that kind of fill in some blanks about some stuff, some backstory that happens there. And so I want to just pause on Acts 15. We will come back to it. And I want to go for a minute to a letter that Paul wrote. Last week, and we, we uh, referenced this, it's, it's the letter of Galatians. And Galatians is like the letter behind the story. Um, Galatians, was, the Galatia was a region. You remember when they were on their journey, they were up there in, in uh, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. We, we went through all that last week. And he writes them a letter. And I think he writes this letter at the same thing, at the same time that this Acts 15 is taking place. And I think he writes it as a, as a preemptive measure because if these Jewish people who are disgruntled with the Gentiles are doing this in Antioch, it's going to happen in all these other cities as well because there's Jews and Gentiles who are part of the church as well. So I think he gets together and he says, we've got to write the churches in, in, in Galatia and set things straight. When he does that, he tells us a little bit of a detail that Acts leaves out. Luke leaves out in the book of Acts. That when Paul and Barnabas, and I believe when they came back from their first missionary journey, the last verse of chapter 14 says, and they stayed in Antioch for a long time. While they're there, it appears that Peter has come up to visit them. Maybe he's heard about what's happening with the Greek followers of Jesus in Antioch. Maybe he's heard about Paul and Barnabas and their missionary journeys. But Peter goes to Antioch. I mean, this is Peter. He's like the walk on the water guy. He's the keys of the kingdom guy. He's the OG. He comes to Antioch and spends some time there, and there's some things that happen. Remember, Peter's one that saw the sheet, and he's the one that, that ate with Cornelius. And so he's up there. Paul writes to these churches in Galatia, and he says this. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Remember, we think, oh, that New Testament time, it would have been so great. Paul and Peter are going at it. They don't agree. They're strong personalities. They both love Jesus. They're both filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's some struggles here. He says, I got it in his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, that, that would be uh, code for Jerusalem, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So here's Peter, who had the vision, who ate with Cornelius. He goes to Antioch. Here's all these Greeks. He's having lunch with them. He's having bacon cheeseburgers with them. It's non-kosher. It's unclean. But it's okay because he saw the sheet. Guys come from Jerusalem, the circumcision. They hold to the law. Peter's like, uh-oh. And so he says, you know, I'm going to hold off on the potluck here. I'm going to go hang with these guys. And, and he kind of distanced himself from the Greek-speaking followers of Jesus. And he hangs out with the Jewish people. Because he's kind of worried about the reputation. What are they going to say to those back in Jerusalem? What's this going to do to me? And Paul says, Pete, come on. What are you doing? You're being two-faced. You're being hypocritical. You're Pete. Remember Pete saw the sheep? Come on, let's eat. God's neat. That whole thing. And now, and you were doing that. 
Oh, until these guys come along. And Peter, what do you think that, what kind of message does that send to these Gentiles? They're our brothers. They're part of the kingdom, and you know that. What message is that sending to them? And what message is that sending to these guys? That there ought to be division in the church? Come on, Peter. And he calls them out in public. And besides, Peter, come on. You are so influential. People watch everything you do. People listen to every word you say. People follow you. Do you know what kind of weight you carry? In fact, he says, the other Jews joined him, Peter, in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Uncle Barney, you're, you're like the son of encouragement. How could you do? Barnabas, come on. Barnabas, you were sent from Jerusalem to check this out, and you're the one that vouched for these Greeks. Barnabas, you're the one that went on the missionary journey with me. You saw what God did. You saw that they received the word. You saw that the Holy Spirit fills them. Even Barnabas, and Paul just calls him out. I think what he's saying to the churches in Galatia is, listen, I don't care who comes to tell you. I don't care if they're from Jerusalem. I don't care if it's Barnabas who's been there with me. I don't care if it's Peter himself. If anyone comes preaching a gospel other than what you've heard, you've got to let go of that because you know. And the whole letter of Galatians, read it. The whole letter of Galatians is, don't back down from the truth of the good news of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he writes to them, he goes on, and he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. <laughs> Paul would be the first one to say, if anyone could be saved by keeping the law, it would be me. Humbly speaking, he would say. I mean, you read that in Philippians 3 where he talks about, I was faultless. I mean, when it came to legalism, I kept it to the letter of the law. I was the best at that. But if we could save ourselves by our own efforts, we wouldn't need a savior. If we could do it by keeping the rules, if we could do it by following the law, we don't need a savior. We might need a coach. We might need a motivational speaker. We might need a spiritual director. But we don't need a savior because we can save ourselves. And if we can save ourselves, then what Jesus went through, the flogging, the crucifixion, that's such a waste of a life. He says, I don't let go of the grace of God. And he would go on and he would write, clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Come on. You're talking about the covenant of Abraham? Abraham didn't keep the law. Abraham came along 480 years before the law was given. How was Abraham justified? It's by faith. It's not about the grace and the gospel plus circumcision, little asterisk laid on there. It's not about the grace and gospel and, and, and dietary laws. It's not about the grace and gospel and what you do on the Sabbath. It's not about the grace and the gospel and all what's unclean. Grace plus anything isn't grace. Grace stands alone. Let me just make this statement and I had to do it two or three times last night to get people excited about this because I think this is a profound statement. So, little hint. When I get done saying this and you want to say amen, go ahead. Any addition to grace will not improve the grace of God. There is nothing you can add 
that will make God's grace any better at all. Because grace is God's beautiful masterpiece. Think about this. In 2012, I was in Rome. We went to the Vatican City. And, and there we go to Sistine Chapel. On the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel on the wall, Michelangelo's famous fresco. It took him four or five years to paint on his back on a scaffold. Four or five years. It's, it's, it's a masterpiece. It's unbelievable. If I went in there and said, I got a paint bucket and a brush, I, I think I'm going to add a little bit to it. Do you think I add to the Sistine Chapel? No. And here's God's beautiful masterpiece called grace. Anything we try to add to it just pollutes it, dilutes it, and refutes it. Because no addition can improve on the grace of God. Amen. And Paul says, listen, don't let go of God's grace. Don't go back to the law again. Don't do that. So we go back to Acts 15. So that letter, I, I think, man, you read Acts 15, you read Galatians, they go, they go hand in hand together. So we go back to Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas get there. They're welcomed by the church. And they bring all the elders and all the apostles together. They've got this big decision they've got to make. And they're hearing a little bit from Paul and Barnabas. And then it says this, verse 5, I think. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Asterisk, asterisk. The first thing I love about this, they're believers in Jesus. They were probably at the day of Pentecost. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're Pharisees. All through the Gospels, the Pharisees are the bad guys. But there are Pharisees that begin to realize all of the laws, all the prophets, they're all fulfilled in Jesus, and they're followers after Jesus. They're still Pharisees. They're still Jewish to the core. The Jesus is the Messiah. And they're following, but there's this Jewish background. And, and they're saying if, they're, if they want to be a part of it, they've got to have the knife and the scroll they got to have the surgery and the diet. they got to be circumcised and follow the law. And there's all this discussion that takes place, all this debate. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. All this discussion. Then Peter got up and addressed them. Remember Peter. He was raised Jewish. Not going to touch anything unclean. Not going to do that. Saw the sheet. Okay, I'm going to eat the cheeseburger. And then he goes to, to, to Antioch, and then the Greeks or the Jews come, and he says, okay, no, I'm not. And then, and then Paul calls him out and says, okay, I am. Peter has been all over the map on this theological issue. If there's a stance, he stood there. All right, so he gets one. He stands up, and he's going to speak. He has a great deal of authority. He has the keys to the kingdom. He walked with Jesus. He was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. He denied Christ. He was reinstated. This is Peter. Peter gets up in front of this council and he says, listen, guys, you know that God used me to speak the truth of the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, probably referring to Cornelius and his household in, in Acts chapter 10. God spoke that through me. And not only did they accept the word of God, but the Holy Spirit filled them as well. Just like us, just like us in Acts 2, just like them in Acts 10. Same thing. There was no differentiation. And then he's off, and he's just like, guys, can we just be honest? I mean, it's just us. Let me just talk. The law, this is a yoke and a burden that our forefathers couldn't keep. We couldn't keep it. None of us can. We know it's a burden. We know it's heavy. We know how difficult it is. Why would we want to put that on anybody else? Come on, think about it. We don't even like it. We don't even do it right. Why, why would we want to do that? So verse 11 says, no, no. 
We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Subtle little piece here that's amazing. We are saved just as they are, not they are saved just as we are. Because the Jews are saying, we are circumcised, we keep the law, they need to be saved like we are. Peter says, no, it's not how it works. Circumcision doesn't save you. The law doesn't save you. It's the grace of God that saves you. And we are saved just like they are. We're no better than them. The same way they get in the door is the same way we get in the door. The place goes quiet. You can hear a pin drop. And Barnabas and Paul began to talk. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul. Look at the order of the names here again. We talked about that last week. Now we're back in Jerusalem. Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem. Paul, they're still wondering about him. Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. They talk about what happened in Antioch when they sent Barnabas up there with the Greek-speaking followers of Jesus. Talking about how the Holy Spirit sent them on this journey. They went out to Cyprus and what happened there with, with Sergius Paulus and, and Bar-Jesus going blind and, and then heading up to Antioch, the Pisidian Antioch, and, and the Jews and the Gentiles following Jesus and how there was this plot and they went over to Iconium and, and there was this, this, this division of that half the people were all on board and, and, and half of them were Jewish and half of them were Gentiles. And then they go to, to, to Lystra and, and, and there was this guy that was healed and, and, and then Paul was, he says, look at these scars, man. They, they, they killed me, and, but I'm here. And, and the stones and Derby, and they just go through all of this. Explaining, it. it's undeniable that it's not just Jews. It's, it's Gentiles, uncircumcised, people who don't even know the law and they believe in Jesus and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Undeniable. And they're just taking all this in. And when they had finished, James spoke up. Now, this isn't Peter, James, and John, James. Okay, that James, the brother of of John, if you remember, he got killed back in, what was it, chapter 11, I think. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who is now kind of a big dog in the church in in Jerusalem. He's now been elevated. I mean, he's got a a seat of of great authority. And James speaks up. As he's been thinking it, taking it all in. Here's what the Pharisees have been saying. Here's what Peter has said. Here's what Paul and Barnabas have experienced. Here's the scriptures, here's the laws, here's the problem. He takes it all in, he's kind of processing, synthesizing it all together. And he speaks up and he quotes Simon, and then he quotes Amos. And then James, the brother of Jesus, who was raised Jewish, makes the most profound statement in verse 19. He said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. After hearing all of these arguments, hearing all these experiences, hearing all these scriptures, no asterisk. And maybe, just maybe, James heard or heard about the stories of his half-brother, the Messiah, Jesus, who would say something like, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy burdened, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle 
humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And maybe James says, my brother was right. This shouldn't be a burden. It should be a gift. And he says, this is what I think we ought to tell them. There are some things being a follower of Jesus requires. They need to stay away from idolatry. That goes without saying. I mean, that goes clear back to the Ten Commandments, of course. There's one God. Stay away from idolatry and stay pure from sexual immor immorality. And then there's a couple dietary concessions we're going to ask them to make, not because it's the law, but really more than anything, to keep unity in the body of Christ. I think that's what we should do. And I think we ought to write a letter. Let's not just send them a message. Let's, let's write them a letter. Let's put it in writing. And so they all agree, and they do. And they said, and let's send some, some representatives from this council. Send a guy named Silas, who will become a big player. We'll see next week with Paul. And a guy named uh, Judas, who's also known as Barsabbas. They say they send them as well. So they write this letter. It says, from your brothers in, in Jerusalem. You know, we're brothers now. To the Gentile believers, greetings. And then it says, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization. We didn't send those other guys. Just telling you, that wasn't from us. And they disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Because it was contrary to what you had heard, and it was confusing, and it was frustrating, and it's difficult, and there was division. We understand all of that. And then I love this line. He said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Like, if the Holy Spirit doesn't count, we agreed with the Holy Spirit. It seemed good. The Holy Spirit has said this, and you know what? We happen to agree with him. Good thing. <laughs> seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Like, we don't want to put a heavy yoke upon you. We don't want this to be a burden. It's a gift. Now, Idolatry, yeah, that's got to go away. Sexual immorality, not even mentioned amongst you. And we're asking for some dietary concessions, not because of the Old Testament law, but because there's brothers and sisters. It really, really bothers them, and it's hard. And if you guys can just, if you just say no to a couple of these things, not because you have to, it'll just bring about unity in the body of Christ. So they, they sent these guys off. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And all the tribbles said, hallelujah. Especially the male tribbles amongst their... This is a beautiful thing. And there was great rejoicing. Now, that's where we're going to stop in 15. It continues on. That's where we're going to stop there. You say, well, that's a nice story, but how does that apply to us? It absolutely applies to us. The instances and the situations and the circumstances are different, but the principles remain the same. And here's one of the things that I think is important for us to understand, because there was this law and grace and legalism and spirit. The law and legalism thrive on guilt, and it produces this burden and this obligation, and I have to, and what if I don't, and what if I do, and, and guilt, and, and shame, and, and if I'm doing this, but you're not, and then there's judgment, and if I'm not doing it, and I should be, then there's condemnation, and if I'm doing it, and I think I should be, and I actually do it, then there's pride, and nothing good comes out of law and legalistic following of the law. But the Spirit and grace 
thrive on love. That, that, that there's joy in this. There's hope in this. There, there's life in this. There's freedom in this. A life controlled by the Spirit is far more beautiful, far more joyful, far more full, far more free, and even more holy than a life controlled by the law. A life controlled by the Spirit and grace is the full life that we are called and created to live, way more than a life controlled by the law and legalism. So Paul writes all this to, to this church, these churches up in Galatia. He says, I want you guys to grasp this stuff. He writes in, in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The slavery to the law. Now, some of you right now are saying, so what I hear you saying is, no law, no rules, everything goes, all skate, free for all, grace covers everything, wahoo, let's go. If you're thinking that, you're not the first to think that. In fact, Paul knew that his listeners would be thinking that as well. So he writes to them and says, in case you're starting to think that, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Peter would say the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, 16. He says, don't let your freedom be used to cover over evil in your life. He says, no, no, that's not what we're talking about here. It's not this free pass to go sin all you want because grace will always cover you at the end of the day. We're talking about liberty, not license. It's not just this, go for it. What does Paul write in, in Romans chapter 6? Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means, he says. We've died to sin. Swindoll said it this way. He said, people who see grace as a license to sin merely reveal their deep love for sin rather than their love for God and their neighbor. You say, this is awesome. Grace means I get to go sin all you want. You know what it says? That your real Lord, the one that really masters your life, is sin, not Jesus Christ. It's not a license. It's the liberty. It's the freedom. The freedom to love God, the freedom to love others, the freedom to be who we've been created to be in the Spirit and in grace. And Paul, Paul would come back to this again. Man, next week we'll, we'll look at Corinth real, real quickly. But Corinth was a mess. And he writes to the church in Corinth and he says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Say, so, well, I don't have to do this because I, I'm not under the law and I'm free from all this. Okay, that's fine. But if it impacts someone else in a negative way, you know what, maybe there's something more important than your freedom. Maybe it's unity in the body of Christ. Maybe it's helping a brother or sister along who's not quite where you are in, in their freedom. Yeah, but it's my right, and you can't tell me what to do, and I don't have to, and I'm not under the law. It's my right. Maybe there's something more important than your rights. Unity in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters who are struggling. Paul had been set free. He had been liberated. He says, I'm, I'm more free than anybody, but I will make myself a slave if it helps 
to bring someone to Christ. In fact, the issue for them was this whole dietary thing. He would write to Corinth and says, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall in sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. It's my right. I can eat this meat. Paul says, I have the freedom to lay down my rights. I have the freedom to lay down my freedom. And if my rights and fighting for my rights and what I get to do and what I don't have to do, if that becomes more important to me than how that impacts others, then I become the center of my world. And it's all about me. He writes to the church again in, 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 in Galatian, the Galatian churches. He says, the entire law is summed up in one single command. And I love this. Because he quotes Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's most important. And where would that whole concept even come from? That Jesus would say in John chapter 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And he would go one step further and he would back it up. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus did that. Greater love has no one than this than he would lay down his rights for his friends. Now, I just want to say this, and this might bother some of you. Right now in our world, there's so much division and so much of this. And in the church of Jesus Christ, People who are fighting for my rights can't tell me what to do. I've got this right. I don't have to. You know. Where do you see that with Jesus? Jesus says, listen, maybe there's something more important than fighting for my rights. Maybe it's following my Lord. Maybe it's laying down my rights. Maybe it's having the freedom to say, yeah, that's my rights, but I don't have to claim them because I'm about something bigger than just my rights. I'm about the kingdom of God. I'm about following my Lord. I'm about honoring and glorifying God and loving my neighbor. What if we, I can't answer for the rest of the world and we shouldn't, but what if we as the followers of Jesus said, this is how we're gonna live. It's the law of love. And we are free to live that way because of the grace and the spirit of Jesus Christ.